0: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Ethan Eskowitz. He's the founder and CEO at Eris Composites. Ethan, welcome to the show.
1: Great to be here, Kevin. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing is really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: So, Northern Virginia, uh, suburban D.C.,
0: Very cool, so you went to university. What did you take, and why?
1: so i I actually started in engineering and ended up uh, with geology. Um, and I, I gravitated towards uh, the sciences um, uh, through through my time there. Uh, you know it was really kind of the empiricism, the uh, exploration. Um, I, I think I liked asking questions more than trying to solve for answers, um, and, and, um, and and geology also has some some really great field trips. So uh, <laughs> those were that's that's probably my my entry exit, um, and the, the irony obviously is I've I've come back a lot more to the engineering world and uh, don't do nearly nearly as much with the uh, with the geology world these days.
0: Interesting. Okay, so walk us through your career up until uh, founding Eris Composites.
1: Sure. So I've been in a a number of roles in business development and uh, research and development. Um, I I think I, I certainly represent one of those CEOs that's worn a lot of the different hats in the organization. Um, you know also doing operations Uh, so a lot of my time uh, really prior to like 2008 had been more in conventional manufacturing technologies Uh, but when I discovered 3D printing is where I uh, really focused and have worked with uh, plastics and composites and metal 3D printing technologies as well as uh, you know both the manufacturers, service providers, and um, even working with commercializing uh, the technologies developed at the National Lab. So uh, so, so really the last decade had been uh, focused on on the 3D printing world.
0: Interesting. So how did you come up with the idea for Eris Composites and what exactly do you guys do?
1: Sure. So uh, really the conventional manufacturing and the 3D printing that I uh, just described uh, were were two really formative times in my career. And a lot of what we have developed uh, represents uh, significant elements of both of those realms uh, combined into the technology that we developed. Uh, so, So to be very, very specific, uh, we we call our technology additive molding and we take elements of the most advanced, aligned, uh, continuous, composite fiber um, uh, technologies. Uh, but then we are also using elements of the molding world, which is the highest volume complex part production methods in the world. So um, you, you to kind of give examples of both spaces. Um, you know, in the composites world, uh, when you look at like the Boeing Dreamliner, they're uh, steering the composite fibers in very intentional ways uh, to create the highest performance structures possible. Um, and as you can imagine, the, the cost of those production methods are, are quite high and don't scale very well. Uh, but then you look um, uh, for, as an example out of the molding world, You know, you go to any factory where they have an automated molding cell producing parts extremely cost effectively that can have incredible levels of um, complexity and accuracy and repeatability and surface finish. So really, we took uh, elements of both of those worlds and combined them so we can get these incredibly high performance materials um, out of these very scalable automated Uh, manufacturing systems Uh, so so to to really tie it all together uh, you know we enable the production of these parts that are uh, that can be you know stronger stronger than titanium at a much lower density so you might be one-third the weight uh, and producing them cost-effectively out of an automated manufacturing system
0: very cool so Can you maybe give us some industries or examples of how people have used what you have created?
1: Certainly. So with manufacturing, uh, when you make a new tool, uh, there are many different industries that can use that tool to make the products they they produce uh, better. So uh, as a result, we've we've had very uh, broad collaborations, and le- let me let me speak to that um, almost separately from uh, from looking at the idea that what we've focused on as a young company is the industries with a shorter product refresh cycle and lower qualification. So as you can imagine, you want to work with customers that can get you to revenue faster uh, when you're a young company and you have venture investment. um, And then as you grow, uh, you can take on uh, broader industries and applications that may take longer to get to market. So for that reason, uh, the first industry we focused on was consumer products because of the speed at which they can get to market. And we were very novel for consumer products because they haven't had the ability to use these uh, really great materials uh, to make differentiated products that give them a, a commercial edge in the marketplace. So there was a, a, a very uh, strong pull from, from that market for for our technology. So we can we can talk about that. But other industries we've worked with um, include aerospace and and industrial uh, aerospace um, in particular has been a leader in composites because of the very high price that um, is associated with with weight uh, when you're talking about aircraft and and the fuel for aircraft. Uh, So uh, in in aerospace. Uh, the, uh, in 1970, uh, there was zero percent composites in in a commercial airliner. Today, the Boeing Dreamliner is approaching 80 percent composites. So this really uh, illustrates uh, one, you know, the industry that's responsible for a lot of the R&D that um, we take advantage of, and we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants there. Uh, but also an industry that has a big appetite for being able to make uh, new parts that they haven't been able to make out of these incredible materials, which, which we have enabled.
0: Interesting. So if, if I'm an airline manufacturer how or a car manufacturer or whatever, how do I actually use your technology? Do you need to ship me like a printing machine? Do I have to send you the CAD renderings or, or whatever drawing format you need? And then you guys print them and ship them back to me? Or how does that process work?
1: Sure. So, at present, we do all of the production ourselves directly. Okay. Um, I've I've worked with a a lot of companies in the past where we we uh, you know would launch three D printers and uh, and send them out to customers, Um, and ultimately we have kept our production systems in house longer uh, than than perhaps uh, some. Uh, new manufacturing technologies typically would uh, because when you're talking about higher volume production, uh, the repeatability and reliability um, and scalability is, is paramount. So, we have uh, really put um, our systems through a very uh, rigorous refinement. And um, in addition, we, we take uh, ultimate responsibility for that production. That said, uh, we have uh, in 2021 and beyond uh, manufacturing partners uh, that we will be working with that we would uh, ship production systems to and and could do some production for us, um, it, particularly uh, different manufacturers that specialize um, in in different industries where where their expertise uh, running our systems um, really would have significant synergy and while we're we're working with uh some of those companies today um they we will make the parts uh for them and they will uh qualify them or work with their customers to qualify them
0: got you so then so
1: so i should i should tie that back to a, no a, a, sure the, the simple summer the simple summary is uh we produce the parts directly for our end customers today
0: okay so then do you work with like their design and engineering team and say like this is doable that's not doable like we try this or or how does that process or collaboration work between you guys and and one of your clients
1: correct so we have uh, our um, applications development team uh, is uh, is comprised of uh, engineers of a variety of disciplines who have worked in this space. Um, uh, for instance, Simon Lancaster who uh, runs our uh, is our consumer products lead um, worked uh, you know, worked over a decade at Apple uh, looking at new manufacturing technologies and Finding ways to use new manufacturing technologies for you know commercial advantages, and so we have individuals like Simon and, and his team and others that uh, take take these this professional experience and their knowledge of design for additive molding, which which is our process, and work collaboratively with the mechanical design team, the antenna team, the You know the the various teams on the other side of the fence that would uh be uh would be adopting our technology and incorporating it into a product that they're developing
0: okay no that makes sense so can you give us some examples of industries or things that have been directly created with your technology
1: Sure. So we've made a variety of consumer electronic devices, um, a number of the existing common devices, as well as next generation wearables. Uh, Wearables are a particularly hot space for us because it's emerging. Um, There are a lot of companies envisioning what's coming next. um, And as a result, those design cycles, um, you know, are spinning quickly. And many people are thinking about uh, how to make something really commercially compelling. And our ability to make many of the products smaller and lighter um, and, um, and higher performance in a variety of different ways, whether it's antenna or thermal, uh, gives, them, uh, gives them greater capabilities than they had to work with. Uh, with the conventional manufacturing technologies uh, that many of them had started these processes with, uh, so the consumer electronics has been uh, one one batch of uh, customers we've worked with. Uh, Sporting goods has used uh, carbon fiber composites um, broadly, uh, so that that space has uh, was already primed uh, to to our technology uh, because of their knowledge of the material and the benefits. Our our ability to make new shapes that were not possible, as well as higher performance composite parts than they've had before, um, has precipitated another group of opportunities like in the biking industry, for example. Uh, But then um, also uh, we mentioned aerospace earlier, uh, while the path to producing parts um, on uh, commercial aircraft is is a long one with all of the qualification steps there are the, uh, the, the drone industry uh, is able to take advantage of all of the same methods and approaches, um, however, without the same level of qualification uh, to, to produce, um, to uh, move very quickly. And we uh, will have had a, a, a neat press release with a customer that we worked with that was able to really innovate in their design as a result of our methods uh, with a uh, industrial drone that that they developed uh, and improved with our with our methods.
0: Interesting. So, how did you guys actually come up with the technology and this material?
1: So, the uh we we started in 2017 and at that point uh we had worked uh with both additive manufacturing as well as uh a variety of composite materials so we uh we work with existing raw materials so that's the most important building block to start with so we okay. didn't create a a fundamentally new chemistry uh, the thermoplastic composites that we work with um, are a very important uh, piece of this story. Um, thermoplastics are really just amazing materials. They they are the recyclable plastics. Uh, and the thermoplastic composites have been developed by aerospace over the last uh, few decades. So this is a, a new class of uh, composites, uh, composites for, for many decades prior to that. Uh, were just essentially like super glue or epoxy and not not recyclable um, and more brittle so these these um, the, the aerospace development efforts were getting these tougher um, faster cycle time uh, composites in, into the industry so we're we're really standing on the shoulders of of a lot of the research and development that was done in that industry um, as well as around those material classes. So we worked with this this material class um, of thermoplastic composites that you might have carbon fiber or you might have glass fiber or you can use other uh, other types of fibers um, and you combine it with uh, the thermoplastic uh, and you call that the matrix. So you might have you just imagine like 50 50 um, uh, matrix material which which is the thermoplastic resin system and 50 percent. Um, you know, glass fiber or carbon fiber, depending on the application. Uh, so, w- what we did was we really looked at um, how what what are the shortcomings of this industry, um, what what is missing. So, in general, you typically are building with flat building blocks when you're making anything out of composites. Most people are familiar with you know automotive body panels that are kind of two and a half D shaped, uh, but when you are making anything complex, like a bracket or anything that has really 3D relief or or complex shapes. They're they're typically machined. And in fact, they're 3D printing out of titanium, many of the parts in aerospace, because you can't make those parts out of composite today. So what we did is we started with this material system, and we figured out a way to use this really mature material system and, and get the best out of it put it in put it in these very important shapes. Um, Many of them, uh, a lot of work had been done in topology uh, optimization, and really just having the best shape for the load or functional scenario that a part might encounter. Um, And then most most important and what's what's really novel about our process is within that shape. There's 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 loading um, and The way that you align the fibers should follow the loading paths within that 3D shape. And our process has the unique ability to essentially make these complex 3D shapes in a way that you can imagine resembles the way the grain of a tree works, where the grain follows the the loading uh, on the tree very much the same way that the fibers that we put in our part through our additive molding process um, uh, follow the the loading on that part. So what that enables is getting these really excellent materials that have been limited to fairly simple shapes and allowing uh, designers to put them in, in, um, in, in a variety of shapes that, that haven't been possible before.
0: Interesting. Okay. So you guys had a press for press release recently, I think you just mentioned it before we covered that, but what exactly are they doing and how are they leveraging your technology in their product?
1: So, the uh, Skydio uh, collaboration was, was neat and, and really illustrative in that uh, they took advantage in a number of different ways. Uh, of the capabilities we're talking about. So first is part consolidation. And I I think most folks understand the benefit in reducing the bill of materials on any product. Uh, The less parts, the less suppliers, the less assembly steps, the less places there can be failure. Um, There are many benefits to part consolidation. So when we took the original assembly of 17, uh, components and made it one single one. Uh, there's there's a lot of benefits just simply in doing that. Um, in addition, uh, the uh, the for a uh, for a customer facing part um, and a class A surface, a surface that faces the customer, we're able to make it look really nice. Uh, but you look under the surface of of this really good looking designed. Um, part and there's a really advanced composite uh, performance that that hasn't been possible before so first with regard to material type there's a antenna transparent glass fiber window so this is a method that was developed in aerospace uh, to allow antennas to work properly that were and and you know these are produced in very Kind of in lower volumes, um, in uh, at at higher costs with kind of artisan processes. Uh, today in aerospace, we're able to do this with an automated uh, production system, just as part of our process. But a lot of those those methods were originally pioneered in the aerospace. Uh, so we have that antenna window, and then through the arms uh, that are supporting a, a critical uh, camera mount, uh, there are these very, very nice uh, topology-optimized structures that are really just the ideal shape uh, to support that load uh, that enables the minimum amount of material uh, for, for weight savings through those features. Uh, so all of that is done continuously, even though you have different types of materials within the same part, everything looks similar uh, Really seamless and streamlined, so cosmetically it looks nice, um, and then uh, functionally um, you you have uh, a single part, and then also the way that it was designed to um, to handle the impact that might come uh, from the the product uh, being being dropped uh, was something that was also uh, factored into the part design so this was a uh, this was a really great collaboration uh, through our uh, between our applications engineering team and their product development team uh, to you know achieve an outcome that checks the boxes of a bunch of the different engineering stakeholders on their side.
0: Very cool. So, how much lighter can you get this material compared to some of the traditional materials that people that you're basically replacing?
1: yeah so uh that particular part i, I believe it was around uh twenty five percent uh so quite a bit then. it it really de- yeah it, it depends so uh the the density difference you know you might be one third the density of titanium
0: okay. so
1: if we produce a part that is you know exactly the same shape and size you might expect to see something about one third the- de- uh one, one third the weight, um, you know as it turns out, uh, through design, you can frequently improve that even more. so it really becomes a bit of a case by case answer, but there was a paper uh, just published uh, by our uh, CTO and one of our uh, one of our engineers um, at a, uh, in a composites uh, publication. It was at Camex uh, that uh, illustrated. How we were able to with an aerospace customer save uh, over 70 percent uh, of the weight of a uh, titanium 3d printed bracket because we not only took advantage of the weight savings of our material uh, but by taking advantage of additional design latitudes um, as well that were available to us uh, so so both material and design uh, are 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 two areas that we're typically looking at for um, opportunities to improve uh, a replacement part.
0: Got you. No, that makes sense. Okay, very cool. So you guys recently secured a very big Series B round. Do you want to talk about some advice or or what you guys or why you guys decided to raise a Series B round? Because I think, like. I've raised money before in the past and it is very difficult, even if somebody understands and is the industry and what they're in, but you guys were creating kind of a, a new material. And so can you walk us through why you guys raised money and some advice around raising money, especially in kind of the manufacturing space?
1: Yeah, certainly the, you know, I think most companies, Series A is, is frequently the, um, the biggest hurdle. Um, we, sure. we did, we did, as, as you said, point out the, uh, the Series B, but, um, you know, I can't underscore how, how important it is to take your time, um, and have enough runway to find a, a, a great, um, partner. Uh, we, we were very lucky in, finding nea um and uh you know as a result um you know their their contributions to the company cannot be understated um you know we we talked to a lot of firms uh really kind of getting to the place where we found the the right people in the right firm to to lead things off so I, i actually go back to to series a because uh because I, I do feel like getting such such a great partner um was you know was was very important uh in in getting to where we are now so uh you know with with regard to why uh you know anyone that you know has an idea and isn't in a garage you know has this uh you know the the two directions that you can go um you know do you go Looking for investors, or or do you try and uh, grow it on on revenue? So I think the the highest level, um, you know, fundamental question is, you know, is the is what somebody's working on um, fit the profile of a venture backed business? Um, and and uh, you know that that's the first box to check. And you know, there's a lot written about that. Um, you know, the, the 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 second step would be, you know, if it does fit the profile of a venture-backed business. And, and there's, there's, there's a lot to consider there. In the composites industry and in manufacturing, uh, a lot, um, you know, traditionally, they've been um, not as venture-backed um, uh, enterprises. And many of the, you know, manufacturing technologies come out of large corporate innovators. Uh, the, the venture com- community, um, and really a lot uh, centered around uh, you know, 3D printing originally, but I, I think it's kind of evolved into a lot of other spaces. Uh, you know, the venture community is has uh started to embrace, you know, hardware and manufacturing technologies and um, you know, 3D printing created a, a lot of interest in that as well. Uh so um and 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 so that, that shift I think is is very important for people that like to make things, um, like to like to make physical things. Um, and I think the level of maturity in the venture community is, is increasing, uh, quite a bit in the way, uh, the community thinks about, uh, thinks about the space. So getting back to your question of advice I have, um, you know, we very early on, um, had, you know, really great minimum viable products. And, and I think that the most important place to start, no matter kind of which track you take is really learn about MVPs. You know, there's a lot that's been written about that. Um, a lot's been written about getting those in front of customers, um, getting customers to to pay for, for those MVPs, giving you the conviction that you're on track of something good. Um, and it gives you something that you can point to, uh, you know, for investors that you have, you know, legitimate, um, you know, Ideally, world-class experts at top companies that have, you know, significant commercial benefits um, associated with whatever you're you're showing to them that validate your claims, um, and and when you have a, a batch of those those uh, you know application cases and and customer stories, um, you know, fundraising gets to be a lot easier because. Uh, It's not taking you at your word. It's taking third-party experts that know their space and know that uh, they have a commercial benefit and wouldn't be wasting their time if there wasn't, um, endorsing that if you can get to whatever your milestones are that you're planning to hit with the venture money that you're seeking, um, then they're interested in taking a deeper look at it and possibly moving forward. and even better if those individuals will act as references for you. Um, that's always kind of a, a bit of a balancing act. Uh, but I think you know th- these kind of general wisdom is really the, the, the path that we took in working really closely with customers, um, really seeking to understand what they needed, um, really seeking to understand what commercial benefits we unlocked for them, um, and focusing on our capability development uh meeting their needs
0: interesting so how did you guys meet your first investors and convince your first customers to try out your technology
1: so um i guess going going even a step back from investors um you know having you know reaching into your network um you know, if if you're looking for co-founders, um, you know, seeking co-founders not just on technical merit, but also thinking about um, how how you're rounding out the need for uh, a founding team or a leadership team to have a good, deep network uh, for technical expertise and guidance, um, as well as fundraising expertise and guidance. Uh, so. You know, very early on, before we were seeking investment, um, you know, we were, we were very actively uh, doing, doing these things. And uh, through, um, through actually an early customer, uh, we were introduced to uh, Carl Bass, the former CEO of Autodesk, um, who came on as really a, a great advisor, um, or, uh, uh, early angel investor, now a board member uh, with the company, um, you know, as well as, as, as others that have been very important. And one of those individuals was, um, the husband of a friend, a coworker of my wife who introduced me to a friend, you know, it's one of those stories. Right. Um, and, and, you know, our, and who, uh, you know, became, you know, such a, such a valuable angel investor for us. Uh, not Not just um, because she was an angel investor, but she uh added all kinds of other uh value in helping us think about how to grow grow the business as well as <clears throat> introducing us to um, a uh, uh, forest basket at n e a who she said you know you 've got to you 've got to talk to these guys and wh- when it comes to uh, finding uh, when it comes to you know finding a good investor, um, you know this has been said a million times, but uh, getting an endorsement from somebody that they trust um, is is uh, you know is, is so valuable And you know the, this is this is really the kind of classic networking example where uh, you know you have to really technically develop things, develop customers, but also really think about, you know, what is your investment space and how do you start networking in that investment space? Uh, It it is absolutely one of those dig your well before you're thirsty type exercises that you need to be very proactive about that.
0: No, I think that's, that's actually really good advice. Do you have any other advice for people that are looking to get into the manufacturing space?
1: Yeah, the, the the manufacturing space um, is hard in in some respects, is is easy in others. So uh, you know the the trend of um, you know Kickstarter's, um, Indiegogo, um, you know if you're manufacturing a thing, it's it's a little bit different than if you're developing a new manufacturing process. So the world of manufacturing things has has gotten really exciting with um, the venture community, um, the Internet of Things, uh, connected devices, uh, Kickstarters. Really, all of those things are creating this kind of frenzy of activity. That's just very excited about um, how quickly the physical world can can start to iterate on itself and develop, you know, great new ideas and new products and the, the quick way in which you can get feedback for your minimum viable product uh, through, through the crowd um, and how you can show that to investors or, you know, bootstrap the company based on, on that money. Um, you know, there's, there's a, lot, a lot that's been said about all of those topics. Um, if we look at developing a new manufacturing process, um it it is a little bit different because you are one step removed from the commercial uh transaction sometimes uh so you, obviously the closer you are to to your your revenue stream uh the more control that you have over that uh the the easier it is to do a test, the easier it is to show investors uh that that you've got customers that are willing to buy. So, um, you know, this, this kind of precipitates, you know, one of those core questions, you know, are we going to sell machines to companies or are we going to try and sell manufacturing services? Um, the typical answer is, um, and I think what, what's kind of typically been more, more of the case uh, for, for more of the, at least in the 3d printing world is, is to sell machines. Um, and there's a good bit of history around, uh, you know, around those models, um, and and that has its um, that has its, its benefits and has its challenges. However, you know, there are some like like us that have uh, really taken these manufacturing services to market, and while uh, while you are one step removed because your customer has to sell product that you help them to design in order for you to realize revenue, um, when, you know, when you tap into major brands that have such reliable and, um, and de-risk future cash flows, um, that in, in a different way, de-risks your future cash flows. If you can, uh, tap into those production, um, uh, uh opportunities the biggest challenge though obviously is these companies have incredibly high levels of scrutiny for any new manufacturing technology that they might entertain using Um, and it's really difficult to get buy-in from those teams that have to be so risk averse um, and typically don't have an appetite for uh, new manufacturing technologies that add risk. Um, but and the challenge and the danger a little bit is many of these companies will always try out and sample all of what's new and great, um, to make sure they're not missing anything. Um, but that's a far cry from actual production.
0: Interesting. No, I, I think that's, that's actually really good advice but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention?
1: Yeah. Eriscomposites.com. A-R-R-I-S-C-O-M-P-O-S-I-T-E-S.com.
0: Perf- Perfect. Ethan. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: Great. Thanks for the uh great to speak with you.
0: Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.